started by Bobby Jones and Clifford Roberts, first played in 1934, 83 editions, always at the same magnificent course. It is the Masters, the 84th edition taking place this week at the beautiful Augusta National. Welcome to another edition of Raider Golf, the podcast brought to you by Fairways to Africa, creating bespoke golfing packages for foreigners and locals alike. It's a pleasure to have you on board with me as always, my co-host, Tyron Barnard. Tyron, how are you doing? Derek, I am excited. This is, um, as an armchair critic, as a hack golfer, this is my favorite tournament week. It is the Masters Challenge. Uh, you know, it is, it, it's Augusta, it's history, it's tradition, and ultimately, most importantly, it is a green jacket, and somebody is going to be winning one, and fantastically, we're back in April, um, and we're expecting much lower scores than what we saw in November, um, and it's only been six months, so it's pretty cool. Um, obviously, the field will be missing some people, but uh, it's hard not to be excited in Masters Week. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and as you mentioned, it, it's great that we've got it back. But unbelievably, so it was the last major that we got to witness. Of course, COVID playing havoc with uh, the 2020 calendar. And now it's the first major that we are going to get to see, get to experience. And it's arguably the most eagerly awaited. Of course, that's the case for myself. It's the case for you. And I could probably hazard a guess that it is uh, the most eagerly awaited for our guests. And Ty, a stellar lineup tonight. Yeah, Derek, I mean, it, it was a, a year ago that we, or not even a year ago, six months ago that we saw Dustin Johnson lift his, uh, lift his first ever green jacket in. And maybe the one thing that Augusta could possibly change is that that uh, cabin prize giving. But other than that, um, yeah, it was, it was six months ago. And, and you're right, not just you and I excited. You have put together a, a list of the who's who of golf. And of course, none of them were available, so we settled for the leftovers. <laughs> but it is a great list tonight. It is, it is people oh. who, uh, who if they watch me play, will say, "What the heck are you doing talking about <laughs> golf?" Um, but it is a fantastic collection of of gentlemen tonight to talk about <laughs> the greatest tournament that there is uh, in the golf calendar. Yeah, let's mm. let's go through them. The, the, the current gents that are in the room this evening. Uh, we've got Dale Hayes. He, he played three Masters, 1975, 1976, 1977. Tony Johnston, uh, 1993, he took part at Augusta National. Also six wins on the European Tour. Uh, Brandon Stone, it's the one major that that eludes him. And we also have uh, Jeff Claus, an American who's been to plenty of Masters as a spectator and also runs one of the finest golf courses in the land and beyond the St. Francis Lynx uh, down in the Eastern Cape. Gents, uh, good evening and, and welcome to the show. Dale, I'll start with you. It's a voice that absolutely needs no introduction. Uh, of course, everyone is a fay with who you are, what you've done. But are you excited for, for what's about to take place? You know, every year that uh, when April comes around, it's kind of uh, the start of golf uh, for, for, for all of us. Even though we've gone through the summer and we've played a lot of golf through the summer, but, uh, you know, most parts of America, parts of Europe, it's their start of, of summer golf. So, uh, you know, it all starts at Augusta National. And when they switch on the television sets and they see the most beautiful golf course in the world, um, you know, it's just there can't be a better way to start golf. And then, you know, over the years, the Masters, I'm not sure if it's luck or if it's, you know, 
just the fact that the place is just so special. But they've just given us so many wonderful moments. And every year you watch the Masters, you think, well, there's no way that we could have a better Masters than we had last year. And somehow they're able to give it to us. It's a better Masters. It's, it's quite incredible. You know, you think back to, to when uh, Jack Nicholas won in 1986, and I thought, well, we'll never, ever see anything like that again. And, you know, we've seen that sort of thing happen over and over and over. So it's just the most wonderful week. Tony, welcome to the show. Your favorite Masters, would it go back to 1993 when you, when you made your appearance at Augusta National? Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to rock the boat here a bit, but I've, I've got to say uh, the answer is no. It was probably <laughs> the biggest disappointment I had in my golfing career. I mean, I'd looked forward to it my whole life. I got there and being a mad keen god, and I couldn't wait to get to Amen Corner. Got there in the practice days, not a single azalea in flower. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just found it a bit disappointing. Not, and that's not to say that I don't love uh, the Masters. I love watching it. I like Luckdale. I think it's the, the start of the golfing year. And living in the UK, when the Masters comes around to us, it, you know, it's indicative that spring is here. And our summer is on the way. And I absolutely love watching it. But no, as, as an event to play, and I didn't enjoy it much, I'm sorry to say. I mean, Tony, that's a, a fascinating uh, view, uh, view because, uh, yeah, look, I, I think uh, personally, if I get the opportunity to play Augusta, I'm uh, not very long off the tee. Um, and I'm not very straight off the tee either. Um, that's the first time I've said that in a public <laughs> place. But um yeah, I, th I think uh, it could be one of those that really is uh, put up there on the pedestal for everybody and, and does have the opportunity to uh, disappoint. Well, you know, it was, it was a mix of things too. I was on the range um, on one of the practice days with um, the late Bob Torrance who was coaching me and he had a video camera and uh, one of the Pinkertons, the security guys in those days, came over and said, excuse me, you can't use a video camera at Augusta. I said, sorry, what? He said, no, you can't use a camera. I said, but I'm a competitor. This is my coach. doesn't matter. So I went charging off into the office ready for a, a dust-up. And I said, you know, listen, I'm playing in the tournament. My coach is on the range with a video camera. And I've been told that uh, we can't use a video camera. And the guy just looked at me and just went, yes. I said, well, yes, what? He said, no video cameras. And honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that I had my family and eight or ten friends there to, to enjoy the experience, right there I would have packed my bags and, and hit the road. Um, so, you know, they were just little things. We know that they're funny at Augusta. We know that they do things their own way, which in some ways is fantastic. There's no question. Um, you know, the traditions and things are wonderful, but uh, there's just there's certain things that, that just niggle a little, uh, but it, it's still a wonderful experience, you know, to watch it every year. Yeah, let's, not, let's not look at the, the bad side of things. Uh, we're all going to love it. We're all going to watch it, and it's just going to be special again. Dale, you played in three masters, as I mentioned up front, but uh, you've also been there plenty of times as, as a patron, as a broadcaster. Were you on the wrong side of the law when it came to the Augusta rulings? I know there's a story that Nas Buerta told me once upon a time when he got to play that. I don't know if you're fair with it. And apparently he played 18 holes, came back to the clubhouse, and uh, the doorman said, cool, there's the car park. We'll see you later. And he <laughs> said, no, no, I just want to get changed. And he said, no, you've done nothing to earn the right to play here. Or get changed here, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, you, nothing would surprise me about Augusta. I mean, this, the, you know, the story's a legend. Um, all the stories about, um, 
you know, how, how they've turned people away and how they've, uh, how they've embarrassed people, et cetera. But uh, I, never had a, I never had an issue. But then I, you know, I was always a person that behaved. You know, unlike Donston, <laughs> I, I used to behave myself. And I cannot believe in 1993 they had any sort of video camera that could capture your goal swing. <laughs> Dale, that is like the Pope saying he doesn't pray. I mean, really, I mean, I've never known an oak who disobeys the rules and causes more of a ruckus everywhere he goes than you. But that's probably why we love you. I'm not sure it is, but maybe it is. Um, but, uh, you know, Hazy, I don't know about you. I, I found the whole thing quite bizarre. Uh, you know, that was before the days that they had the sub-air system. And, uh, you know, for listeners who don't know, the sub-air system uh, that they use in a lot of golf courses around the world was invented at Augusta to to enable them to a give air to the roots of uh, of the grass and get the greens perfect, but also to suck moisture out and make them harder. Well, this was before those days, and um, you know I got there a few days early, played the practice rounds, and the greens were nice and firm. You know, you, you'd hit a, in those days a six iron into the first, and it would land, it would bounce six feet in the air, and you know run on, run on sort of eight or ten yards. And I got up there in the first round of the tournament, six iron into the green on the first. Pitched it where I had in the practice rounds, and this thing bounced about twenty feet in the air, and I, I could hear it land from down the fairway. It sounded like it was landing on wood. Boing, on the back of the green, putted off the front, instant three putt, and I couldn't work out how the heck they'd done this overnight. And I, I bumped into Roger Davis when I was having lunch. I said, "Roger, this is unbelievable. How can they possibly do this? How, how do they manage to do this?" And he said, "Oh, that's easier." He said, "I was on the putting green a couple of years ago on the Wednesday night." Um, before the tournament, and they came up and they top-dressed the entire ninth green. I said, what do you mean? He said they put about an inch of top-dressing on the ninth green at 6 o'clock in the evening. What are you talking about? He said, no, they put the special silica sand, they leave it there for an hour, and then they have this massive vacuum cleaner that comes on and sucks up every grain of sand so you don't know it's there. And it just sucks all the moisture out for about two inches in, into the surface of the ground, and it turns it into rock. And um, you know, if you don't know that and you haven't done your homework, you're in for a serious shock. But these days they don't do that. But they do have that sub-air system that can, you know, they can turn the greens from, um, you know, medium firm into rock hard overnight. And, uh, I mean, they, you know, they do everything they can to get the course as hard as they can and as perfect as they can. But um, I don't know if you had any experiences like that, Dale, where you got absolutely stunned into silence. <laughs> Not, not, not really in terms of the golf course. I think, you know, I, when I played, I remember I played in the 70s. So a lot, it was a long time before you played in it. And the golf course wasn't nearly as hard and as fast as it is today. But, you know, they, Augusta, you know, is, is a private golf club. And, you know, I think that's what makes the Masters so amazing, is that it, the, one of the biggest golf tournaments in the world, one of the biggest sporting events in the world, is run by just a small private golf club that has become the wealthiest club in the world. And I mean, it wasn't until just some of the rules that they have, it wasn't until 1983 that they allowed people to bring their own caddies. So you had to use a caddy from Augusta National until 1983. You know, they never had lady members or members of color until I think the 2000s maybe. You, mm -hmm. know, you know, they just, they, they really do, they run it as, as their private golf club. They can invite to the Masters anybody they want. There's a story, whether it's true or not, 
that um, Phil Mickelson went there early one year to play uh, some practice rounds and played with a member and they had some, some bet on and they played for quite a lot of money, evidently. And this guy beat Phil Mickelson. And uh, afterwards, Phil Mickelson said, oh, you know, well, I know we were only kidding about the money. You know, and made a sort of a joke about the fact that they'd had the bet. And this guy was a little bit upset and he went to the chairman and he said to the chairman, he said, you know, this is kind of a bit out of order that, uh, you know, we had a bet on the way around with Phil Mickelson and, you know, now he's saying it's a joke and everything like that. Well, you know, I certainly didn't take it as a joke. We were playing for money. Mm. And the, evidently the chairman went to Phil Mickelson and said, listen, just, just so that you understand, this is an invitational tournament. And, you know, if you don't pay your bet, we could rescind your invitation. Wow. <laughs> now, that's, that's the power that they have. You know, the other thing that's different, they only have 80-odd people playing. I think this year it's 85 or something people mm. played, of which a number of them are amateurs. I was looking when Bobby Cole played, they had seven amateurs played that particular year. And, uh, you know, so, you know, you really, it's the smallest field. It should be, in theory, the easiest of the major championships to win. It's a, it's a good thing that that member didn't play Matt Kutcher. Uh, Ty, over to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Derek, I mean, just before I bring in uh, our next guest, it was, you know, we talk about the quirks and and uh, the stuff of uh, Augusta, the, the tradition and the laws and how difficult it is to get in. In the latest edition of uh, Complete Golfer, where one of our guests is uh, the playing editor, and we'll bring him in shortly, um, there is a... Uh, a great article, uh, a great story of Gary Player's nephew, Bobby Favey Jr. Um, and in 2011, he caddied for Gary there. And uh, it was uh, the night before the final round. And of course, uh, many have heard the story of, of Gary leaving Charles uh, a, a note. But actually what happened was Gary had an appearance on the Saturday somewhere and he asked Bobby to go and drop off the note. Um, and Bobby said, well, obviously they're not going to let me in. And Gary says, but I'm Gary Player. Just go. Take my tag, take my car and go. So, of course, Bobby gets pulled over at the entrance. Um, he tries to phone Gary, but Gary's now busy talking to the kids or wherever he is. He shows them his ID and it says Frank Robert Favey Jr. And they're like, but you're not related to Gary Player. Player <laughs> and they actually try to arrest him. They eventually had to get hold of his family and, and, and his foundation here in South Africa to say, no, no, no. Uh, Gary actually did it. And then Gary had to come to the, the course and got it reprimanded. Even Gary, at his age, uh, with his legendary status, got reprimanded for letting somebody else have his tag. Well, they, but, don't, they, don't, they don't mess around, do they? Some, some spectator a couple of years ago pinched a a cup full of sand out of one of the, uh, the bunkers as a memento and got arrested. They, they let him off, but it cost him 20,000 uh, bucks in legal fees. So don't mess around at Augusta. Don't break the rules or you'll be in deep doo-doo. <laughs> well, and this is why our next guest, uh, who it is currently mourning for our next guest, Brandon Stone is here because he didn't want to get arrested uh, next weekend by taking some, uh, <laughs> Some sand home in his pocket, but uh, Brendan, uh, uh, welcome to Raider Golf. Uh, no quiz questions for you tonight, so that's a, a good thing. But uh, obviously, great news is, and, and you got to experience at the Players' Championship, is that patrons will be at the Masters now. We don't know how many, it'll be uh, very few, but there will be patrons. How much of an impact is that going to make on the golf this week? Um, it's kind of hard to put down, I'll say, because we don't actually know 
how many guests there are. I mean, Augusta has never, ever published a figure as to how many patrons, as you say, do grace the grounds. I mean, they've, they've never been very open about anything, whether it be the prize fund, whether it be the spectators, whether it be the course conditions, the firmness, the green speed, so on and so forth. They've always kept everything under wraps. Um, but like as you saw at the players, uh, uh, having some people around the golf course was spectacular. It, the, we, can't, uh, we can't downplay the significance and the importance of spectators in professional golf. And I think having the patrons around Augusta, I mean, Augusta's always been a little bit different. With, you know, you can't say Baba Bowie or get in the hole or whatever the case may be. A very respectful audience. Um, but at the same time, I think it's just whether it be Augusta or whether it be the, the South African Open Championship, I think every professional golfer just wants to have spectators back. And you can see by the reactions of the players from the uh, from the Players' Championship that it was fantastic. And this week will be the same. Yeah, I can't wait to see. Uh, you know, the, the, one of my favorite things at the Masters is the 16th on a Sunday. Uh, you know, go, go, there, go, obviously, Louis, go get an ace there or something. That'd be great. But uh, the raw of the 16th and how it affects the guys going down the 17th and 18th um, because they're close enough to hear it. You know, it just changes things. You know, in, in November last year, Dustin Johnson, obviously, he was winning comfortably. But there was no mm-hmm. big cheers when uh, Cameron Smith uh, got that eagle to bring it to. I think it was within two at one point. It was not. It was none of that raw and that emotion around the, the ground. And that, I suppose that's what I'm excited for. I'm excited to to hear the crowds go wild when Bryson manages to hit a fairway once. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, listen, the Augusta, as far as uh, atmosphere and overall noise, is quite unique and quite special. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that the. From a spectator's point of view, I mean, Dale and Tony can probably back me up on this. From a spectator's point of view, they're not, uh, how we should say, the most upstanding citizens on the planet Earth. They they really are Hooters loyalty club members and <laughs> hillbillies <laughs> from the South. Uh, let's just be, I'm going to be brutally honest. It's, it's not what you're expecting at all. But at the same time, they have this, unbelievable passion and love for the game of golf and the beers are flowing the pimento cheese sandwiches are everywhere this the snicker bars are here and there the the merch is all over and they just go there it's a spectacle unlike anything else and it's kind of unique and when you go to when you play the open it's the spectators are so respectful i mean you can hit a seven iron to 25 feet and they'll give you a cheer Augusta, if it's not going in the hole, you ain't getting anything from them. They want they they've come to be entertained, and like you say, the 16th hole is obviously synonymous for that. But you have a main corner, and you got the front nine. There's some really interesting part threes there too. So, from an entertainment point of view, I really don't see a better spectacle for golf than the Masters at Augusta National. 2016, Brandon, we, we witnessed one of the biggest capitulations uh, in the history of major golf, not just the Masters. That was when uh, Jordan Spieth uh, threw away his massive lead uh, with that uh, utter devastator, devastation on the 12th. Um, thankfully, and I, I say thankfully because I, I think there are a lot of people that are fans of Jordan Spieth, um, but it would have definitely played in his psyche. He goes in to the Masters as the most recent win on the PGA, having just won in Texas. 
Um, how big an impact does that play on a player? Knowing that you're in red hot form, granted, playing in the Masters, it hasn't necessarily boded well in the past if you've won the tournament just prior. But uh, do you reckon Jordan Spieth has what it takes to, to, to get rid of the devils of the past? Listen, I think uh, golf is a cruel game at the best of times. And the best and the worst go through ups and downs. I think Jordan's obviously gone through a rough patch over the last four years, but the golf that he's played in 2021 has been simply sensational. Uh, nothing's short of spectacular. And if I, in my opinion, probably the most informed golfer in the world at the moment. He's going to a venue that he has a, quite frankly, ridiculous record on. I mean, his first three or four years, if I'm not mistaken, and Dale, he's the statistician. He'll be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think within his first three years, his worst position after a round of golf at Augusta was tied sick. So the fact that Jordan Spieth is hitting, hitting it good again, hitting it straight off the tee and putting like the wizard that he is, uh, it, you'd be a very unwise man to bet against him this week, in my opinion. Well, this is what he had to say following his victory in Texas. And he and can hear clearly the emotion uh, given what he's had to go through over the last couple of years. I feel grateful. I feel, um, I feel really, uh, you know, it kind of bounces off and on right now when it hits me that, you know, I'm back in the winter circle, it's just been, you know, it's been a, it's been a road that's had um, a lot of tough days. And I've had people in my corner that have always believed in me. And um, even when, you know, I've kind of believed less in myself. So, um, I just feel a lot of gratitude. Dale, do you think he's, he's got it in him to, to win his second green jacket? Absolutely. There's no question. I don't think there's a better golf course on the planet for, for Jordan. You know, he can get away with the odd bad tee shot at Augusta. Mm. And I think that is, you know, that is his weak shot is that he, he hits a few tee shots offline. Um, he's an unbelievable long putter. I mean, his long putting is sensational. And, and as Brandon said, you know, he, he loves the golf course. He's got a good record there. So, I, you know, I think he can. But, you know, I don't know how much store you put in stats. But when he won, when he won the, at Augusta, he, uh, the previous week, he led off the 54 holes and I think lost the tournament. Here he tied, was tied for the lead off the 54 holes and won the tournament. So I don't know if that means anything. But uh, but he's not going to win. John uh, John, John Rahm is going to win. Yeah, oh, Dale, I was Ooh. about to say, uh, John's just had a kid. Isn't that a uh, pure sign that you're about to win the next tournament? I haven't heard that, because, eh? I mean, you would have, the amount of children you've got around the world, you would have won about 150 <laughs> tournaments. You'd have had one more than Gary. <laughs> <laughs> can I ask, can I ask, interject and ask a question here? Brandon, uh, weren't you at college with Jordan Speed? I was indeed, Uncle Tony. So you'll know better than I do, but, um, you know, historically, I remember when I watched him when his first, well, his only Masters so far, um, and I remember sitting there watching him, and I found it very strange that every time he patted it two feet past the hole, um, it was the only time he got out his greens book, which they still allowed at Augusta in those days, and got his caddy in to read putts. And he looked at the hole when he was putting. And I, I remember saying to Karen, my wife, you know, this, this guy's had serious problems with the short putting at some point. And people, when I said it, they all poo-pooed me and said, look, the guy's a, he's a genius putter. 
And it was only thereafter that I found out that at college, he had serious heebie-jeebies, but he seems to have conquered that, doesn't he? I think, uh, you know, he's got past that now and um, looks, you know, if, if he keeps that under control, that short putting, I mean, I, 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 I think he's, he's the man to beat this week. Yeah, I think, um, obviously, I, I had the privilege of playing with Jordan and getting to know Jordan um, mm. over the year at Texas. And he's a, he's a fantastic golfer, but he's an incredible human being. I must, I must compliment him on that. He's one of the most humble, down-to-earth humans I've ever come across in my entire life as a professional mm. golfer and a person. With regards to his putting, um, it's kind of a scenario like where... As Dale points out, his long-range putting is so good that he never missed. So you never had two or three foot putts. Where and you, it kind of became something that he maybe overlooked. And I mean, you guys all know, having played the professional game, the moment that there's an aspect of your game that you overlook, it just diminishes and falls where behind of where it needs to be. And I think Jordan at a time put a lot or main focus of his emphasis with regards to his putting between 10 and 30 feet, nothing really within that range. And it, you definitely saw the stats back up his, uh, his practice with regards to being quite lethal and quite deadly and above average outside the 10 foot range, but then falling quite short inside that. However, looking over 2021, I see no cracks in that armor. It's, He's obviously got the, the odd wayward shot here and there. And as mm. Dale pointed out, Augusta National is the perfect golf course for that kind of gameplay. You put a man with a stroke like that, with touch around the greens like that, on the purest surfaces in the world at Augusta National. And like I've said before, it's a very lethal combination. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought, uh, Dale, obviously we, we talk here. Um, Jordan Spieth, Red Hot favorite. John Rahm is another man who's who's uh, very high up on the bookies list. Obviously, Dustin Johnson uh, and Justin Thomas are both right up there. Who's the outside bet? And, and obviously, Bryson is another one who's got a very good uh, uh, return from the bookies. But other than those five, who's a, a great outside bet, in your opinion, Dale, uh, uh, for this week at Augusta? You know, somebody that's, that played well at Augusta a number of times and – he, does, he doesn't win a lot of tournaments, though, so I'm not sure you know, that's going to change. But is Paul Casey. I mean, Paul Casey has a great record at Augusta. He really does well there every year. I, and, you know, I, I, and I, I say this as a, as, a, as a proud South African, but I, just, I don't know. I have a feeling about Louis. I don't think Louis will stay since um, winning days are over. I think Louis could be a good outside bet. That's actually perfect time to jump in here because Jeff Claus, sorry, apologies. You've been a, a spectator listening to this great conversation of golfing legends and you're a golfing legend yourself. You provided us with arguably one of the greatest courses South Africa's seen, the beautiful St. Francis Lynx, but you were there at Augusta in 2012, as was Dale, no, no question, uh, where you saw uh, Louis Luzard to Baba Watson in that magnificent playoff, which featured, in my mind, the, the greatest shot that I've ever seen uh, at, at a Masters. 16 seconds rolling to the hole, hey? That's it. But uh, I will say this. Just a couple of comments on what's already taken place. Um, I watched Gary Player win when I was six years old, five years old, 1961, before you even had television. 
I've seen a lot of, uh, of masters through my years back in the days where you never saw helicopter footage. Uh, you only saw the back nine holes. Uh, I mean, it was, it really was a mystery, uh, in, in watching the game. And of course, a story I'd love to share with you guys. I think you get a kick out of it. Dale, I may have told you in 1986, when Jack Nicklaus won, um, there were some young guys that, that played their golf at University of Houston. And one was Mike Donald. Another was Blaine McAllister. And another was a young guy named Freddie Couples. And their roommate was a guy named Jim Nance. Well, Jim Nance, back in those days, in the early 80s, said to Fred, I'm going to interview one day in Butler Cabin. And in 1986, it was his first, his first opportunity at Augusta. And he was behind the 16th green. And I know because in my calligraphy, I was putting Jack's scores up hole by hole. And uh, when he hit the shot at 16 and just bent down and picked up his tee, Jim Nance says, make no doubt about it, the Bears come out of hibernation. <laughs> and we all, we all know where Jim Nance is today. So that was a pretty magic. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that, is, that is magic. And uh, I know I spoke about that 2012 event. What did you make of it? How many masters have you been to? Just that one. Just and that I, don't one. Know that, I don't know that I have to go again. I uh, walked up the hill backwards from 10 to the 10. That was enough. <laughs> but, but I basically walked every inch of that golf course, arriving on Monday morning on Louis' ticket. Um, we were staying in the same complex with Louis and Charles and Lee, and it was, it was all Chubby's crowd, ISM. And, and that in itself was a treat, the, the stories that flowed. But I walked every inch of that golf course with Liesl. And we started on the back nine the first day. And even up to the security guard at the back at 11, which is so far back now, you don't even know where you're at. And, and I must just say that the reason I say I don't have to go again, the real thing about going there is just feeling it. And, and that afternoon, Louis knocked it in the jar. Lisa was with him. We'd walked with him on Saturday. And we watched Trevor play the whole uh, that morning. Uh, of course, this was you know, 2.30, 2.45 in the afternoon, I think, by the time Louis came through. too. And I was at the ninth with my friend and we heard this roar. Now I don't think tiger was anywhere near contention. So we, we kind of assumed maybe it was tiger, uh, on 16, same kind of area down there somewhere. And we hear this roar and we hear this crowd go up louder and louder and louder and boom, you realize what's happened. And I had to get up from my chair and walk up and look at the 18th board as they took the seven down and put the 10 up. And I had tears in my eyes when I walked back down to, to, uh, to Jim, my friend, and say he's just made albatross, uh, double eagle for their ears. But uh, L, what a moment! And sadly, I think it might have cost him the tournament. He certainly came back two under on the back nine, but it stalled him for about the next five holes, six holes, I think, to get back on track. Yeah, as a South African, we were at, when that went in. I mean, obviously, nobody sleeps here on a Sunday night, uh, but uh, when that went in, yeah, you know, we were just imagining the photos of uh, Charles Schwartzel handing over the green jacket yeah. to Louis. I mean, it just would have been sensational. And, you know, it, it, it couldn't have been a nicer golfer that beat him. I mean, everybody's best friend, Bubba. Um, yeah. And, yes, that was pure sarcasm in my voice. But, uh, I'll, I'll say but nothing that, about Bubba's uh, time. I'm the only one that could hit the shot. Hey, this is Thomas Hatt, the Commissioner of the Sunshine Tour. And you're listening to Raider Golf with Derek and Ty. You know, Augusta, I mean, we talk about so much tradition, but one of the traditions that uh, gets a little bit of a bad rap as much as it is a lot of fun is the par three contest. 
and obviously the par three curse. Um, mm. Dale, yeah. a guy you played alongside in 1976 is the closest uh, to uh, breaking it. So there's Raymond Floyd, uh, who won in 76, of course. In uh, 90, he won it and he came second in the Masters. You, you know, I, I know I know a lot of golfers would love to be the one to break the curse. You know, the, the Red Sox eventually broke the curse of Bambino. But uh, how much of an impact, and, and Brandon, Tony, Dale, any of you, how much of an impact does that actually play on guys' heads? And, and do any of them, I mean, do, are there golfers who legitimately, if they're in the chance of the, a winning, will throw it or uh, make sure they get disqualified just so they don't have that uh, hanging over their heads? No, I don't. I don't believe that 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 would happen. You know, I think I think everybody that's playing in in the, the Masters this year would, if they'd had the par three tournament, would love to have won the par three and and just disproved that thing forever. Um, I think it's just a pure coincidence. I remember uh, the one year that we played. I played with Bobby Cole and Hugh Bayoki because you could choose who you want to play with in the par three, and the three of us teed up, and there were just so many people there. It was. It, the, the, and Tony, Tony uh, I'm sure you remember, it's an amazing experience to play the par three. And uh, Bobby Cole teed it up first. And the first hole's about 70 yards. And he teed it up with a sandwich and he pegged the ball up um, maybe a quarter of an inch. And he, and he duffed it short of the green. Hubert Aki then got up and he teed it up about half an inch. Well, I was the third one to go and I had it about an inch in the air. <laughs> Not one of us hit the first green from 70 yards. I promise you. It's a, it's a most amazing feeling. And, you know, when you saw a couple of years ago, maybe four or five years ago, when Tom Watson, um, I think yeah. he won it. Yeah. And um, he was playing with Nicholas and Gary Player. Mm. And they got to about the fifth hole and, and Nicholas hit his tee shot in the bunker. And I, I was watching with my, my wife and I said to her, I said, just watch this. Watch how Nicholas and Tom Watson have suddenly changed. Now, Jack Nicholas was in his 70s then. Tom Watson, I think, was uh, in, his, in his 60s, early, maybe early middle 60s. And they, the two of them just completely changed on that hole because they suddenly realized that they could win that day. And I promise you, Jack Nicholas hit it in the bunker. And he's never been a great bunker player, only because he never went in bunkers. And he got into the bunker. And you could just see the determination on his face. And he hit it out about six feet. And the putt, when he got over the putt, I said to my wife, I said, this putt, there is not a hope in hell he's going to miss this putt because he's willing this ball to dull. And he, he made the putt and he went on. I think he finished about fourth, if I remember correctly. And, and Tom Watson won it that year. And which is one of the, I mean, that's one of the great uh, um results in golf. I mean, that a 60-something-year-old can win, even though it's a par three tournament. It's still unbelievable that they could do that. You don't have the nerve that they've got to finish that high up. Nicholas doesn't even play golf anymore, hardly. He plays three or four rounds a year. And he'll get up tomorrow. No, sorry, Thursday morning. He'll get up on Thursday morning and he'll rifle it straight down that first fairway, I guarantee you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 2018 when Tom, it was 2018 when Tom Watson won it. And uh, yeah, I think it was 2016 when Gary was in contention as well uh, until the, he bogeyed the ninth. He was uh, tied with the leaders or he was one back of the leaders going into the ninth. Brendan, what about you? Are yeah. you going to take on the par three when you play at Augusta next year and win it? 
Um, yeah, I actually have a question for, for Tony and Dale. I've been think, sitting here and uh, it's not often I get a platform to give them a little bit of stick. But <laughs> when you guys played Augusta, and I mean, the golf course has changed so much over the last few decades. But the, the, surely with the hickory clubs and the feather golf balls, it was a lot easier to control your approach shots into the green. <laughs> <at Augusta. laughs> well, that's a first. Tony, he jokes about that, but I was just thinking about when Nicholas won in 86. Yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure that uh, Greg Norman hit a drive and a six iron to the 18th. And they've lengthened that hole by 40, 50 yards. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the guys now are hitting wedges. So I well, mean, yeah. it's unbelievable how it has changed. But, you know, in those days also, Brandon, the golf ball used to turn in there. Not every shot went <laughs> like now. Just, I mean, you know, you guys, you guys nowadays, you miss the green with a wedge. Tony Johnson, if he ever missed a green with a wedge, he would have committed suicide, and he's still alive. <laughs> but he's alive on the one stuff anyway. But that's why you guys never used to have alignment sticks back in your days, because if there were alignment sticks in Tony Johnson's day, he would have impaled himself in the throats at least five times at the round of golf. Plus, we couldn't get further than the alignment stick. <laughs> Brandon, if they if had alignment sticks in my day, I would have been trying to do the samba underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> It's beautiful that uh, we're talking about the Par 3 Championship because it, it leads us beautifully to segue through to, to Jaco Prinsley, who, who joins us fresh off uh, his second victory this year on the Sunshine Tour. Jaco, welcome to the show. And, and an interesting hallmark of the most recent uh, event that took place at Serengeti. It was a five-round event, one of which took place at Whistling Thorn, which is a Par 3 Championship course, my favorite uh, Par 3 in the country. It's very few like it in the world, actually. And... I think, Yaka, if I'm not mistaken, 15 of the 52 players taking part were under par. Hi there, Derek, uh, and, and the rest of the guys. Um, geez, you got me. I don't actually know how many guys were under par. Uh, I didn't really check. But, uh, yeah, it was a tricky, tricky event and uh, you know, a long week. Yeah. Well, were, were, were you under par, Yaku? Yeah, were, were you, you under par, Yaku? I was, by one. <laughs> <laughs> What, what was it like adding it to, to the elements of, of the event? Of course, we're breaking a little bit away from, from Augusta, but, I mean, we've got the par three at Augusta that takes place prior to the tournament. Suddenly, you get thrown this Hail Mary. You're taking part in the Sunshine Tour. Used to uh, four rounds of 18 holes apiece on a 72-hole, 72-par uh, course. Uh, wasn't quite the case uh, on that, what was it, the penultimate day? Third last day, third last yeah, well, sometimes we play, you know, three three day events, you know, mm. uh, fifty four holes. So, you know, going from three to five is quite, you know, a substantial change. Um, we didn't really know what to expect, how they were going to set the course up, you know, what it's going to be like. I think with with Augustus Pass three, you kind of kind of have an idea of, you know, what's what's going to be be given to you and and how it's going to play. So we didn't really have an idea what they're going to set it up like. It could be. Very, very tough golf course and, and a long one at that. Um, it was quite windy on that day too. But, um, yeah, we didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I can't remember if I was leading or close to the lead. Um, so, you didn't really know, you know, is level par going to be a good score? Over par, we didn't know. Um, managed to shoot one under. I think the best score was three under for the day, if I remember correctly. So, 
yeah, it was a tricky, tricky event and a, and a funny, funny thing in between because initially we were told um, it's not going to be part of the actual tournament. It's just going to be a, you know, a fun program day. Um, and then later on, we heard that it's actually part of the event. So <laughs> curveball to us. And yeah, like I said, from three days to five days is a, a long stretch. Well, you managed to overcome the curveball and went on to win. Congratulations. So it sounds like a bit of a joke, Ty, if we talk about a, a podcast. Uh, a couple of South Africans, a Zimbabwean, an American, join a podcast as well as uh, a 2003 Rugby World Cup winner and uh, a member of the British Royal Family. Uh, Mike Tyndall, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you play. You haven't played as a competitor, but you've certainly played at Augusta. You're a massive golf fan. Uh, welcome to the show. What was it like? And, and you sent me the photo the other day of coming inches short of reaching that hole in one. On what hole was it? Uh, 16. 16. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and had Mike had the crowds that he deserved for a shot like that, <laughs> they would have been going ballistic. Uh, it, it was a surreal. So basically, it, it was a surreal uh, two days. I played four rounds there in two days. Um, as for, for my 40th birthday, my wife... Um, and basically lined it up with a, a member who we know uh, behind my back and sort of he teed it up for me. And then, but the problem was I had some work on the day and to fly direct into Atlanta is not, uh, you can't go, you need to go in the morning, you can't go afternoon, but I had to do a work thing until like two o'clock. So I had to then try and find my way getting there. So I missed actually a, another round that morning um, because I didn't, if I, I had to basically stay over in New York for six hours and then get on the first ply. It was just a bit of a nightmare getting there. And I got there and I was pretty tired and still I was like, there's no chance of missing another round just to have a kip. So I went out and shot the first two rounds. I was dreadful. I was just jet lagged, knackered. But then we managed to pull some stuff together on the second and the on the third and fourth rounds. But it was an incredible experience. And yeah, when I hit that shot on 16 on my on the the good round, I had shot a 77 on my third round. And he, the caddy literally, is like, when it bounced, he went, that's going in. I was like, shut up, it's not going in, because it had gone past it, and then it started rolling back down the hill. He was like, that's going to go in. And then I could, just as I was like, okay, maybe it will, it stopped about an inch short. And then I was then I was gutted I didn't get a hole in one, um, even though I took walked away with the bird. So, um, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. Well, and, and I mean, Mike, it's not quite my almost hole-in-one story. I, I had probably my worst round of golf ever. I was playing at uh, a course here in South Africa called Modifantine, and I was shot 99. But uh, on the back on the back nine, uh, I uh, managed to miss a hole-in-one. I pitched at one side of the hole. It span around the hole and stopped in front of the hole with about two centimeters. I, and I don't know how to backspin. So that was an incredible, <laughs> incredible shot. But uh, for all of those who have played, and I know the question I'm going to ask you is like asking you to pick your favorite child. But as as you all know, Derek has got a favorite child. Uh, so he does that all the time. He picks his favorite. Um, which is your favorite hole at Augusta? Um, and uh, Mike, we're on you. So uh, give it a bash. <laughs> um my favorite hole uh i know my worst hole is nine double boat that's just double bogey nine going back up that hill it's horrendous always seems to hit it over the green and then you can't get it anywhere near the hole but i i would i probably would say um uh, i probably i really like 13 
Um, and plus, because I also managed to birdie that one, so and I got I had an eagle putt because I covered covered the water in two. So I really liked thirteen, but that was just probably from the experience of playing it and had two rounds where I stuck it in the the trees long, and then I I hit the next side I hit a perfect three wood and then a perfect four iron and had an eagle putt. So I like that hole. Can, can you tell us the name of the hole? Uh, no, actually, I wouldn't be able to tell you that. Have well, you'd have to, you'd have to give me a bit of time to think. Um, I can't because I probably can't actually. Is it Xavier? Xavier, and the one that you can't stand, number nine. Uh, that's Carolina Cherry. You know, that just adds to the mystique of it, doesn't it, Dell? I mean, the names of the holds. You come down Magnolia Lane to witness this magnificent place, and then take it on. And uh, what what is your favourite and worst, Dell? I, I would I would agree. I think my favourite hole would be the. Um, the 13th, um, you know, it, it, it was a hole that, that always suited the way I played because I used to play with a big hook. So the, the dog leg left suited me down to, down to a tee. In fact, the, the, the last year I played there, I was aimed at the trees on the right and you aimed at those trees and you just hit it with a big hook and it would take the slope and run down and, you know, you'd have an iron into the green. And uh, I just, I got up in, in the one round and I hit it dead straight. And it hit a guy right on the top of his head. It sounded from even from the tee, it sounded like a bullet, I promise you. And I ran down there because I got such a fright. I ran. No, well, I didn't run. It's I'm pushing it. <laughs> I walked, I walked briskly down there. And there's this guy lying there. There's just blood everywhere. I mean, there's just blood. I think I've killed the guy. I mean, there's just blood everywhere. And the guy's just saying, oh, I'm sorry I got in the way of your ball. I'm sorry I got in the way of your ball. I'm sorry I got in the way of your ball. And, you know, I said, don't worry about that. I said, you know, where, where the, where's the ambulance? And the ambulance came and took him away. And, and when I got to the 18th hole, there he was. He had bandages around the top of his head and everything like that. And I'm now expecting him to come and say he's going to sue me and whatever. He comes and says, please, can I get the golf ball? <laughs> did, did you give it to 13 I, my choice would be 13 as well i think tony your best and worst uh i would go for i'll be boring and go for 12 um i think 12 is the most amazing little par three um i'm happy to say that well, i missed the cap when i played there 93 but i birdied it both days um mainly because i pushed both of my oh, shots when I, a five is not a birdie eh? <laughs> I, I pushed both of my shots close to the flag. I was aiming way left. Um, but it's the most, I mean, it's the only hole that hasn't really been stretched. I don't think it's been stretched at all since the course opened in 1934. And, you know, the guys are going in with much shorter irons now, but it's still just as scary. Just, you know, ask Jordan Spieth. Uh, things can happen there in a hurry. And it's the most visually the most stunning hole you could ever see anyway with all the azaleas. Uh, you know, in the background, it's called Golden Bell. They've got these shrubs called Golden Bell in the background, and it, it's just it's it's a hole that if you're going to have a picture of a hole on your your bedroom wall, that would be it. Um, Twelve at Augusta when the azaleas are out, nothing better on the eye than that, I don't think. Yeah, I think if anyone would have it, uh, it wouldn't be Jordan Speed, as you mentioned. We when he did capitulate, but yeah, it, it is a magnificent hole. Brandon, have you have you played at Augusta? I mean, I mentioned it's the one major that eludes you. And we will see you there, mm -hmm. we know that. But uh, as far as Augusta National is concerned? I haven't actually played there. I've been there a couple of times and walked around, but I kind of 
I'm saving myself for marriage, if you want to call it. I'm not gonna. I have had, I have had a few opportunities to play there, and I'm like, no, I'm flat out refused. I'm saving myself for tournament week to go out there. Um, but I'm I'm gonna be somewhat of a Tony Johnson here and say something quite controversial. But from a golf course design standpoint, I wasn't really blown away by Augusta National. I felt it was. There, there are golf courses that are a lot better, in my humble opinion, such as St. Francis Links and the Whistlethorn Part 3 courses, Serengeti. Listen, there are there's some holes, and maybe Mike could testament to this, where you kind of walk off the green kind of forgetting what the hole actually looked like. Mm. Um, but because more often than not, like Tony said, when you walk in there, you're looking at the azaleas, you're looking at mm. the beautiful tree, the scenery around you, you know, the significance of where you're staying that you kind of like almost rush through the first 11 holes. And by the time you stand on the 12th tee box, you look there like, Oh, we, I kind of forgot the last 11 holes. And now we're getting to the business end of, you know, the tournament. And that's like, mm. even me, when I watch Augusta to this day, if there's a broadcast from 12 through 18, that's kind of all I'll watch. Mm. You don't really, you don't really need to see the front nine. It's kind of all comes down to the back nine on Sunday. Um, but one, one thing that I kind of found so unique to Augusta was the amount of holes that shape, or shape different ways. So, like, for example, number two, you have to hit quite a big draw for tee box aiming at the right bunker. But then for the approach shot, you have to hit quite a big fade in order for you to hold the green. And the same could be stated for 13, where you have to hit this massive hook around the trees to get it in. But then the green sits from left to right. And there's so many of those little intricate, little fine details about Augusta National that I kind of, you don't really pick up when you're looking or watching on TV. But when you get there, I mean, like the guys, the gents that have played there before, you're kind of taken aback. But I mean, a perfect example of this is number 10, where obviously everyone knows it for Bubba's shot out the right trees, but Bubba was in those right trees for a reason. It's an incredibly demanding tee shot. You have to hit like a, 30 40 yard draw down this massive swale and by the when you finish your tee shot you find yourself in the fairway ball above your feet to a green that's extremely elevated bunk on the right and a massive ridge down the left hand side it's just so demanding from that point of view and because of how firm how quick the course is and how tricky it is it just puts more emphasis on actual shot making than the golf course itself. There are golf courses that demand for you to hit good shots. Um, but I don't feel like Augusta is at, at the top of that list for me. But as far as a favorite hole is concerned, I just love number two. Because hitting a 400-yard, big 60-yard hook in the air driver is just straight up Brandon's alleyway. Like, I, I live for that shit. Anything moving left to right. My, like, 18th tee box is giving me heebie-jeebies and I haven't even played it yet. And uh, down those little <laughs> narrow shoes, having to a fade is not quite up my, my area of expertise at this moment in time. So maybe when that invitation does come in the post one day, I'll have to work on that little trappy fade. <laughs> uh, Brand, I, can, I, can I just jump in here? I would agree with you entirely. I think... Um, I would agree wholeheartedly. I think Augusta is quite a bit like uh, Pebble Beach, which I think is one of the, the most overrated courses in the world. It's, it's got five or six stunning holes. And for the rest, really, you just, you know, they're just for completely forgettable. And Augusta has got some stunning holes. But as a, as a course design, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I don't think it's one of the best out there. You know, the, the feature is the greens. 
You know, they showed it uh, in 3D on Sky a few years ago. Um, and unless you've been to Augusta, you have no conception of how undulating the course is and what the greens are like. You know, some of those, those greens, if you don't hit it into the right spot, 20 feet away, you can hit it eight feet away on the other side of the hole and you, can't, you almost can't two-putt it. You know, and, and until you see it in 3D or un, until you're there on the grounds, you, it doesn't do it justice on TV, does it? But um, it, it, always, it always presents a, an amazing spectacle. That's the one big thing about it, isn't it? You know, Tony, Tony I, you know, I agree with you. Um, I, I also, unfortunately, I don't think it's one of the great golf courses of the world. I mean, it wouldn't be, you know, high up on my list. Mm. But... Alistair McKenzie designed that golf course in the in the early 30s. It was yeah. just after um, Bobby Jones won the Grand Slam that he decided to go and find a piece of ground to build a golf course. And he did it and with a little bit of help, I think, from Bobby Jones. But basically, Alistair McKenzie did the routing and everything of that golf course. And mm. unfortunately, he never lived to see the golf course. He never, ever saw it finished and never saw a Masters ever played on it. But, you know, the golf course has been changed so often by so many different people that, you know, it's, it's for me, it's kind of like, um, you know, adding onto a building, you know, um, you know, you yeah. get a, you get a house and, and somebody adds a room here and they add a toilet there and they add a snooker room there and they add this there. Mm. It's kind of, it's kind of a bit like that. I think that mm. they've changed, you know, pretty much every hole. You mentioned the, the, the par three 12 has not been changed. Yeah, mm. I, I think they added a bunker to the back. I think that bunker is new mm. at the mm. back of the green. Um, but, I mean, I remember walking one of the many years ago now. I went there one year with, um, I think it was, in fact, before Supersport even. I went with SABC. And at the 11th hole, I'm walking with Gary and Jack Nicholas in a practice round. And we, we go around the round from the 10th green to the 11th. And Jack Nicholas points into the trees at the back and he said, you know, Gary, the way things are going with equipment now, one day the tea is going to be way back in there. Well, that's yeah. exactly what the tea is now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And Crazy Hazy, how they the golf course. Hazy, the other thing that people uh, tend to forget is that when Mackenzie designed that course, they were Bermuda greens, Bermuda grass greens, and they ran at about seven or eight on the stump. And so they had these huge slopes, but they were pretty slow. They weren't designed to be patted on, on pure bed at 13 or 14 on the stump, were they? Absolutely. But, you know, they, they redo the greens every year. They so change something every year. And, the and, redo them. and they don't tell anybody what they've done either, do they? They keep it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, bringing but, you... you know, just bought, they've, they've also just bought the, the, a couple of holes from the next door club, which is the Augusta <clears throat> Golf Club, mm. or the Augusta Country Club, I think it's called. And they've just bought some ground from them so they can extend the 13th tee back mm. another 30 or 40 or 50 meters. Yeah. Jeff, bringing you in, and uh, it must be music to your ears hearing the kind words from Brandon regarding St. Francis Links. How much of an inspiration do you take from watching events like Augusta? And, and, and how big a challenge is it to change holes on a golf course? So we speak about the changes that have taken place at Augusta. Uh, have you even felt the need at St. Francis? No, I think Mr. Nicholas said when he came here that the golf course is going to evolve. So we have made changes primarily to make it more playable. Uh, I think Augusta has evolved because of the game, sadly, because of the equipment and the ball. 
But um, it's my 51st as a spectator, you know. I'm the only guy on the show that hasn't teed it up there. It's my 50th as a spectator. So I do have an opinion. And I do believe that the 13th hole is worth ends. And I think the 12th hole is the one that's going to make here and get you home or, or take you home. You saw with as Jordan. But 13, 13 to me is the start of the rally. And nobody in the history of the game is going to do what, what Charles Schwartzel did to knock all the Aussies out for the last four holes. That was a great win. Yeah, probably one of the greatest finishes. Uh, Yaku, over to you. You currently lead the Sunshine Swear Order of Merit. Obviously, is a great place to be. Next step, uh, hopefully, European Tour or PGA Tour Order of Merit flying up there and getting yourself into Augusta as one of the qualifiers. What's next on uh, your horizon? And and how soon is it that you would love to get yourself into that uh, Masters uh, starting lineup? Yeah, well, obviously, as, as soon as possible, you know. Um, but uh, for now, with, you know, the coronavirus and, and, and stuff, there aren't many Q schools where I can go to um, to get myself out of here. Um, I know Asia hasn't even started there. I mean, the, the year, never mind, you know, last year, nothing happened. Um, we've got some challenge to events, co-sanctioned events coming up. Um, so, you know, a win there could give me a, a card, um, on the challenge tour, um, also not too much happening there at the moment, you know, with their, their golf and, and, and stuff. So, but you know, there are, are certain opportunities available and, and I just need to, to do well, um, in them, like I have been luckily and, and, and hopefully I can take the form into the upcoming events. Yeah. And just, uh, for the benefit of the listeners, the upcoming events, we've got the Limpopo championship, uh, in two weeks time to the week after, um, Masters, followed by the Cape Town Open, and then of course uh, at Fancourt, uh, one of the uh, flagship events for um, uh, the Sunshine Tour is the Dimension Data Pro Am. You you've got two of the four so far, Yaku. How many are you going to add in those three? Well, hopefully, I can add another two. Um, can't be too greedy, but you know you've got to you know set goals and 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 keep moving forward. So. Um, We'll see what we can do. Uh, you know, I have a couple of goals in mind and, and, and stuff I want to achieve. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll keep chasing them and, and, and whatever happens will happen. And I'm, I'm extremely happy to, to be where I am at the moment. But, you know, a long road still to go. Yako, we asked the question to the gents a little earlier and uh, you know, you're late to the party. Who are you rooting for over at the Masters? Who you reckon it's, is going to do the job? I'd like Jordan to win. Just because, and I think he's been through, you know, through a hell of a lot um, to get back to the winner's circle last week. I think was was very big for him and 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 for you know his team. And I think he he fought through a lot of demons and 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 got there. Um, for the South African boys, I, I'd like Louis to win. You know, I think he's been close and he's been, well, let's call it a rob by Baba out the trees, but. Um, yeah, I'd like from the South African boys, I'd probably like Louis to to bring us one home and, and not sing on his airplane after coming second again. For Louis and, and Jordan as well. And I'll tell you what, someone here is definitely rooting for uh, another man who's a big fan of South Africa, and that's Lee Westwood. Because, uh, Mike, mm-hmm. a, a good friend of yours, and Lee Westwood has been in sensational form. Yeah, yeah, he's been in great form. Obviously, we tried to get him on on the podcast, but he's that shows where his head's at. He was fully focused on getting ready for the tournament. And as you say, he's 
he's been in great great nick finishing twice over the over there in america and and hopefully this week's gone really well and he's got his hopefully he's got his wife back on his bag because oh his fiance back on his bag because he seems to be performing when she's there so she's doing magical <laughs> things for him so uh long may hell's bells be on his bag um yeah, I'm really, I'd really like, you know, obviously he's finished sort of tied second twice, I think it is. I'd just love to see him win a, win any major, but if he could win the green jacket, I'd, I mean, I've asked him if I could, if I could caddy at the par three for him. Cause I went, um, I went round to Port Rush, basically followed him around for four days at Port Rush. And when he finished fourth, that got him into the Masters. So I booked my flight straight away to go because he, he wasn't sure whether he, this could be his last it could have been his last masters and then obviously coronavirus hit and I, and I, they moved it and and then no one could go anyway. So uh, I'm gutted. I'm not there and hopefully he'll, he'll go well. Uh, Mike. And obviously hopefully you give him a good talking to after 54 holes and he's not paid. <laughs> as last. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be the best. Uh, they seem to get on well. He needs to start hating him a bit more. I think um, there's too, <laughs> there's too much love when they're going round. I think um, I, 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 you know, like it. it's too much of a bromance. He needs to switch on a bit better. I, I did. I did thoroughly enjoy. Uh, obviously, when Bryson at the Arnold Palmer uh, drove over, you know, uh, basically a pothole in uh, Drakensberg, but uh, it was just that distance, three hundred and seventy yards, or whatever of carry. Um, I, I loved it when Lee teed up next, and he he went two fifty to the right. You know, <laughs> very good drive, and he did the same arms in the air, going crazy. I mean, he just seems that like an all-round great guy. So, uh, yeah, I hope uh, it's good for him. As you say, he's a good oak, uh, for sure. He, uh, he, I think, I think, uh, I think you just see, I think he's just enjoying himself so much. And they both ended up with the same score on that hole, even though one hit 370. So, um, you know, I think, I think he's just hitting the ball so well and, and he's trusting well, his, his swing, which he hasn't done for a long time. And good, good luck to him. That's all I can say. Yeah, Lee certainly has. From, from, yeah, go for it. From my from my perspective and like building on what Mike just said there, having played the last year and a bit in events with Lee, I've never seen him more comfortable in his personal situation, in his personal life, and in his game than he is now. He's just so at home and so settled. Like you get you get players that want to be young, you get players that try and put this persona like they're hitting at miles, where Lee Lee kind of at the moment seems like he just wants to be one of the old guys. Like he just wa- he wants people to put him into that category because then he's like, that's going to get me a shot or two on you every single tournament because you're going to have your guard down. And that's exactly what's happened over the last 18 months. I mean, he, let's not beat around the bush. He's absolutely torn us to smithereens over the last 18 months with his, with his game. I mean, he's made guys like Rory, Tommy, and all of them look amateur. He's won the order of merits at... 42 or 43, whatever he is now. And in my opinion, he's never looked better. And if you're looking for an outside better in Augusta for someone that's played well there over the better part of two decades, shit, it's hard to look past like, the icon that is Lee Westwood. You know what, Brand? I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I think it's a travesty that he hasn't won a major because he's he's been one of the best strikers on the planet for 20 years. Yeah. And we know he's can be an iffy chipper. And if anything's really let him down over the years, it's his putting. But with that claw grip now, he seems to be so comfortable with it. He's now making the putts that he used to miss. And also at Augusta, you don't need to chip a lot because the fringes are cut so tight. Guys that are poor chippers tend to learn to be unbelievable putters from 10, 20 yards off the green, which is what Westy can do. 
And the way he's struck mm. at the last 18 months, as you say, you know, he can, he can play pinpoint iron shots where he can think his way around a golf course. He knows the course well, and he knows exactly where to hit it to leave himself the best putts. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think this is, you know, time's running out for him. Let's be honest. You know, what's, he's 47 or something now, Westy. Um, and he knows within himself that this is a great, great opportunity to grab that major. That You, you know, the way, the, the, the way he plays the game, he deserves, let's be honest. Hmm. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you're going to struggle to find more consistent performers over the last two decades than Lee Westwood. Yeah. And it's a testament to his work ethic. It's a testament to his technique. And like I've said, I I like what Mike said there, where the last couple events where he finished second, when he played with Bryce, and he kind of looked like he was a little bit too buddy-buddy. I want to see that cutthroat, ruthless aggression Lee Westwood that we know is inside there. It doesn't have to come across... Mm -hmm on TV, but I want to see the Lee Westwood where he's got his dog bone in his mouth and he's not giving it to anyone. And I've got a funny suspicion that you, at a Masters event like this year, if he has the lead after maybe the first or second round, that dog's going to come out and he's giving that major to anyone. And that, that's, that's what I'm over the moon to, that possibility of seeing that, that's got my, my, my excitement levels through the roof. Excluding Brandon Stone, would you reckon that Lee is the best player not to have won a major? Still going. Of course, not taking into consideration the, the likes of John Rahms, who have only been on the tour for, for a couple of years. But guys have been playing for, for a decade or more. I remember they well, always, you just, all, you, all you're doing now is starting a you know, generation debate. Let's just be brutally honest. Because Tony and Dale are going to say Monty. I'm going to say Lee. There's gonna, I mean, you're just going to go down the, and we're going to have the next 15 minutes of ranting and raving between two old guys and one young guy and then they're going to forget the conversation <laughs> topic and then we're just going to, it's just going to be a spiral. I mean, so, I once brought, <laughs> I mean, I the once short of the whole argument, I'll just say Colin Montgomery is the, probably the best <laughs> player to not have won a major. Yeah, but Brandon, he's won a senior major, so it counts, counts it. He's, a, he's won a senior major, so it counts. Brandon, okay, cool. I can I can see your jet lag because did they feed you bravery pills on that flight or what? Because <laughs> I mean, if, if, if Hazy if Hazy sits on you while I kick you, you're in desperate trouble. Tony, <laughs> Tony, Tony, his memory doesn't go past Colin Montgomery because he clearly has forgotten Doug Sanders. Yeah. Without question was the best player that hasn't won a major. Yeah, you could be right. And players that are still currently playing, would, would you say Lee's, Lee's that, that, that guy? No question. No question. I, I, I think it'd be great. You know, I just think all the players would love to see it. It's like that Garcia yeah. moment, isn't it, when Garcia won? I don't think there was a dry yeah. eye in the house just for everything they've done for golf. And I think, you know, Westy, when he was sat at number one for all that time. And then, yeah, I think I think it just... You know, he's still got to go and do it, but I think it—I don't think anyone would begrudge it if it if it came down to it. And remember, the Masters gave us Sergio in 2017. Two years later, it gave us Tiger with 15, which was special moments. How about two years later, it gives us something like Lee Westwood breaking the duck? There, there was a name. There was a name mentioned uh, a little earlier, and it always continues to to be somewhat of, of a mystery when it comes to Augusta and his performance at the tournament, Dale, uh, at Rory McIlroy. Yeah, you know, I think I think um, Rory is the guy that, I mean, 
tons of people, including me, would love to see Rory complete the Grand Slam. You know, I think I think that would be great for golf. And um, you know, unfortunately, at the moment, I think it's uh, Phil Mickelson has has got a chance, but I don't believe I really don't know that Phil can can pull it off. I don't think he's playing well enough at the moment. And and obviously, you know, he's he's quite a, quite a lot older even than Lee Westwood. But you know, I think Rory. You know, Rory's got the game. He's got the perfect game for Augusta. He really has. But, mm. I, you know, I wonder in the back of his mind is still not, you know, what he did uh, however many years ago it was when he, I think he shot 80 or whatever in the last round. And I think that's still in the back of his mind, which is very sad because I certainly would love to see him win Augusta and, win the, and, and become the sixth guy to, to, to hold the Grand Slam. Yeah, I, I think you wouldn't find many people who disagree with you. Uh, you know, Rory over the past decade has just also matured as, as you know, when you hear his opinion, when uh, people are going at Bryson Chambeau saying it's it's wrong for golf, Rory turns around and says, well, what's wrong with it? Let's, you know, evolve and, and we have a new challenge to win. So, yeah, I think uh, Rory, I think it was actually the year that Shaw won where Rory... It was. That. It's exactly it was when he shot the 80. And, and of course, uh, Charles Schwartzel birdied the last four. Um, in my mind, and, and of course, I, uh, I um, did not watch uh, back before the 90s, obviously, uh, just due to the fact that I couldn't. Um, but uh, in my mind, that is the greatest finish that I've ever seen to a, a Masters. What other Masters, and, and not just the Masters, most most tournaments, those uh, that birdie, 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 birdie finish uh, to win it, what a great way to finish it. But what else? Uh, and, and Yaku, we can start with you. What, what stands out in your mind as uh, a great, memorable Augusta moment? Well, I got a moment, but it's not necessarily from Augusta. Um, I think it was the Open a couple of years ago when, when Hendrick and Phil, you know, it wasn't, I, don't, I can't remember the finish exactly if it was birdie, birdie, birdie. Um, but, you know, the whole round, both of them, they played absolutely unreal golf. And I know Dale and uh, Tony would go back to, the, you know, the duel in the sun, uh, which was a similar similar event. <laughs> um, and then also Mr. Stania, I think uh, he's 62. And I can't remember what you finished. I think you missed the birdie on the last hole for a 59 or something, or 61 or something. Yeah, yeah, I think that was also, you know, a special special round of golf and and a special way to finish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, Brandon's Brandon's nodding a lot like crazy. He's like, uh, (laughs) he's ready to go uh, beat Brandon Grace's record and uh, get uh, the lowest lowest round at at an Open Championship later this year. But... um, yeah, Jeff, what about yourself? You've watched a lot of Masters. What stands out as uh, as those the moment that is just really the most memorable uh, for you? No, I mean, like <laughs> I said, I've watched so many. I mean, I watched Raymond Floyd hit a bump and run into the front of the green and just an, an amazing shot. Uh, you watched Ben Crenshaw win after uh, burying his, his mentor, Harvey Pinnock, only a couple of days before. Um, I mean, those were brilliant. Freddie Couples hanging it up on the slope at 12 was defining. Uh, but to me, there was nothing like 86. There was nothing like Jack Nicklaus with his boy in the bag, 30 on the back nine, like Gary did in 77. Um, but it was just, it was one of those rounds, he even dropped the 12th and, uh, and here he came, you know, let's go. What's this? 
This is Raider Golf, the podcast, the Masters Edition, brought to you by Fairways to Africa. Now, Fairways to Africa is a young company that was born from the love and passion for, what else? Golf. They focus on creating bespoke golfing packages for foreigners and locals alike. Now, in the short space of time that they've been operating, they managed to create quite the name for themselves in the golfing community. If you're looking for a team to set up your perfect golfing tour, and I really do mean perfect, get in touch with them. They know what they're doing and they offer fantastic value for money. They've already teamed up and collaborated with massive brands like Devil's Peak, uh, Callaway, and get this, the Sunshine Tour. It's great to see what amazing things they're doing already. Check out their website. It's fairwaystoafrica.com and uh, you can see what specials they're running. They're running tours all over the country. Some are really fantastic. Uh, How's this one? They're currently running an incredible competition in collaboration with the Sunshine Tour and Samola over in Neisner. You can stand a chance of winning an incredible two-night stay in a five-star executive suite at Samola Country Hotel and Spa for you and two friends, not three. So, yeah, you think it's a four-ball. Why can't I bring three other friends? This is the reasons why. Uh, It includes two rounds of golf at Samola. But how's this? A Sunshine Tour Pro will join you on your second round of golf. Who knows? It it could be Yako Prince Luz currently burning up the Sunshine Tour. Uh, You can enter via Sunshine Tour Golf uh, on their Instagram account. So, fairwaystoafrica.com. Check them out. I promise you, you won't get better deals anywhere if you're looking for a perfect golf tour for you and your buddies. Dale, I'm sure this must have been a topic that, that you would have really, really enjoyed to be able to, to take part in the Masters dinner, the Champions dinner. Uh, if you were given that honor, Dale, what did you have uh, served to? <laughs> Never trust the skinny chef, eh? I like who you asked the question to, Derek. <laughs> Random. Random. <laughs> Jokes are funny, okay? What you say is not funny. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I, you know, I would, I would, uh, I think I would be a little bit like Dustin Johnson and go for something traditional, like like he's done. I think I would go for a, a nice steak. I quite liked uh, Charles Swatzel with his monkey gland steak, something like that. Um, definitely ice cream to finish because I love ice cream. Um, but you know, you know when uh, Tony, I don't know if if they'd stopped it when you played, but when we played, they had a foreign players dinner. And it, that's what it was called, a foreign players' dinner. And uh, we, we mm. went to the clubhouse and had a dinner, and there were a few, few of the champions were there. Obviously, I mean, Gary was there as a champion, but there were a couple of others, and, and all the masters, uh, the top guys at Augusta were there. And, and that was absolutely awesome. Um, so I got to go to that three times, which was, which was also very, very special at the time. Oh. But... Um, did they did they have that when you played, Tony? No, no, they didn't, Hazy. Well, not that I knew of. Not that I knew of. But uh, that's quite intriguing. You you always teach me. You always teach <laughs> exactly. But I always I always learn something new from Hayes. Always. <laughs> Just going over Dustin Johnson's menu. I know that they'll mention it, but uh, appetizers: pigs in a blanket and lobster and corn fritters, house salad or Caesar salad, mashed potatoes and sprig veggies and filet mignon and miso marinated sea bass. I've got to ask you, Mike, as a, a big rugger bugger, uh, what would you have gone for if you had to choose that menu? 
Well, I'm a little upset that uh, DJ's put a salad on there, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's only for Patrick Reed, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I was doing it, I'd have to pick some, I don't know, some northern dish from North England, like a Lancashire hot pot or something, just to really, so no one would have ever tried it before in their life. Uh, and, they, and they wouldn't be able to have anything to compare it to, so they'd either like it or not. But um, the food's pretty good out there, so I'm sure they'd, they'd, they'd do a good Lancashire hot pot. Uh, I think it'd be fine. Yeah, I think some of the weirdest meals that we've had before, were, I mean, Trevor came with the babuti. Uh, a couple of years back when he won it in 2008 and i think the or 2000 uh, when did he win 2009 and who was it sandy lyle if i'm not mistaken mm. del you remember that right. he served he served haggis yeah he's good yeah, haggis in there isn't he? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mike mike you wouldn't know baburti is an afrikaans guy who's who's got a brother that stutters it's our national meal supposedly like biltong yeah, except Biltong's quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is, does, is that what everyone normally goes for? Is that it? It's it's where uh, you're from. Is it generally, or, or do you just pick one? So what... I'm looking at the list. So I mean, Mickelson went with barbecued ribs. Uh, Charles Schwanzel, the last South African to win the Masters, he went with the braai, which of course you're familiar with. Uh, as mm. certainly as, as Jeff. Um, Tiger, I remember Tiger when he first won for uh, famously cheeseburgers and, and strawberry milkshakes. So <laughs> I think it, it did kind of go where it was from, although I think Phil Mickelson one year served a, a very Spanish-themed dish with the paella. So, Ty, Ty, what final question regarding this? What would you have gone for? Uh, no, look, Charles so, so is a man of my own heart. Uh, it would be braai. It would be braai. I would finish it with a great Malva pudding. Um, and, and that would be uh, pretty much heaven. I mean, you could have all the other stuff for the people who don't like real food, but bra and marble pudding, you don't really need anything other than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, when, when, uh, yeah. when um, Charles Swatzel's meal came out and it was monkey gland steak, nobody would touch it. And he literally <laughs> had to get up and explain to people that it was, <laughs> That it was just a name, monkey gland was only a name. There were no glands in it. <laughs> uh, and, and of course, uh, now we, Shaw uh, will be there teeing it up as a former champion um, this weekend. Of course, he will also be flying Louis home afterwards while Louis is drunk. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, obviously, we're, we're all hoping and, and praying that. Uh, one of the good guys wins it this week, but uh, there are lots of people that uh, will be trying to to get that green jacket on. Of course, Dustin trying to defend it, the first person to defend since Tiger did all the way back in 2002. Um, so I'm going to quickly go around the room. I know we've spoken a whole bunch of names, but I'm going to ask each of you to pick your winner for the week. I will go first, and I'm actually going to say a name that we haven't spoken about. And just because he's got such a good master's form, he's been in good form, he won the Players' Championship, and he wants to tell his sponsor that dropped him to shove it, but he can't because they will get offended by that. So I'm going to go with Justin Thomas. Um, and I don't think any more explanation is needed so that I don't get fired. Uh, Mark, let's go with you. 
Um, I was actually going to say Justin Thomas. I do fancy him. Obviously, I am rooting for Lee Westwood, uh, yeah. but at twenty-eight to one, he's a he's a nice outsider. But um, I would I did fancy John Ram, but obviously he's had a busy week with a newborn. I'm not sure whether uh, we'll see where his where his where his head's at with with that. But um, well, he's I in, reckon he's in the same club as you, Mike. Well, that's true. It's true. I, I, I def- I, and I, and I definitely can't win the Masters. So you say that. Um, yeah, no. It's it's been uh, it's been a, bit, a big couple of weeks. It's been good. Thanks. Um, I think Colin Marikawa will go pretty well. To be fair, awesome stuff, Yaku. Mm. I don't really know. I'm trying to think of who it's draw. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, a name that comes to mind is Patrick Reed. Uh, he's also got a good short game. He's got a good lie. Um, <laughs> well, he always has a good lie, right? <laughs> um, I'm going to go, I'll just go with Jordan because I feel for the guy and what happened to him, you know, all those years ago. So I'll just go with Jordan. Awesome. Jeff. Okay. Because I watched Louis Kostek and Saffers, um, I always root for him. I always root for the Saffers. But uh, I too am uh, kind of favorite of Colin Marikawa. Cool. Colin Marikawa. Brennan. Um, wow. Uh, my heart's saying speed. I feel like Jordan's kind of at, at a, a good, it depends on how well he can balance his emotions after this past week of the, these next few days before teeing up on Thursday. But as an outside bet, I'm going to go with Victor Hovland. It is a very outside bet, but uh, could be could be an interesting bet come Sunday. Dale. Well, I, I think I've nailed my colours to the wall already. John Rahm is my guy that I think will win. He's, he's really is due a major, but I'd love to see Rory McIlroy pull it off for the, for the Grand Slam. And let's, let's hope that South Africans do well. I mean, Dylan did well. Dylan Fratelli did well last year. And I, I think Dylan Fratelli might do well. And I'm not sure he'll win, but I think he'll do well. Awesome. Tony. My heart says uh, Jordan Spieth, um, but I think Justin Thomas. Uh, I, th- I think Justin Thomas. Look, it's going to be somebody who's a good putter. You can't win around Augusta unless you're a good putter, and he's up there amongst the best of them. So I'll, I'll also go with Justin Thomas. All right, and Derek, round us off. Yeah, uh, look, any South African for me will do it, uh, but if it's not going to be a South African, I'm going to go the way of uh, Jordan Spieth. Forms on his side. And I think he's got a, lo- a lot of devils and demons to extinguish over at Augustis. He's got some unfinished business over there. Hi, this is Masazim from the European Tour. And you're listening to Rally Golf with Derek and Tyron. I, I just want to go back. I, I know we keep on saying we're going to wrap up. And please, if you, if you need to leave, do so. But... Patrick Reed, the name gets mentioned a lot. And <laughs> uh, Yaku said, unfortunately, Patrick Reed, I might have to go for him. Brandon, have you spent any time with him? What do you know about him? I mean, is it a caricature of a villain or is he a pretty bad bloke? <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot at all. Brandon, Brandon's face says, stop recording. Uh, <laughs> Feel free to uh, lie, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with uh, no comment. Yeah. <laughs> Take the fifth. Play the fifth. Play the play the fifth on the topic. Sorry, uh, Mike. I, I loved your comment. There, he's always got a great line. <laughs> well, look. I mean, 
you don't get smoke without a bit of fire, do you? So you know you don't hear all these stories, and it and it and it, some of it not be true. And unfortunately, he he's going to live with it. He's he's forever going to be that villain for most people. But, but to be fair, rugby players are always known for being squeaky clean, aren't they? Oh yeah, we we know we never improve lies or anything. But, but the thing is, if anyone calls if anyone if anyone calls you a che- anyone calls you a cheat, you just go all right. Let's have a fisticuffs and let's sort it out. I mean, that exactly. was Austin, Austin Healy is the biggest cheat you will ever see on the golf course. Uh, but if you, but if, you, if you call him a cheat, you have to have a fight. So it's like it's. <laughs> It's do you want do you want to go? For, I mean, we we played we 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 played Scotland one year, actually France one year away, and uh, him and Dawson got out there a day early, and everyone was arriving, and they were they were staying at <laughs> the golf course, and we're all sat on the veranda having a, like a coffee, and they're coming down eighteen, and the next thing I know, they're both rolling around on the floor, and like when they get in, we're like, what the. And Dawson called Austin a cheat, and Austin had whacked him, so they'd had a wrestle. Oh, this is the week of a test match, like. Today. <laughs> but if you call Austin a cheat, you've got to have a fight because uh, he won't. He, even though he knows he cheats, he won't. He can't have. He, can't, he didn't let you. Be, he didn't let you call him a cheat. Mike, were you were you in the change room where um, Sir Clive Woodward did his famous speech, and your centre partner Will Greenwood got up? Uh, it was ahead of the All Blacks game, and. The story goes, because Will recounted the story, that Sir Clive Woodward stood up and he always gave a, a man-for-man comparison uh, between the <laughs> guys and the ball back. <laughs> uh, this, is a, uh, this is a before the game, the night before the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell the story, continue. Uh, yeah, you know, the night before the game, Clive always did it. He'd go down his team sheet and literally go, right, Matt Pe- so th- that day it was sort of Matt Perry against, actually Cullen wasn't playing, it would have been, Mold Mania, Peza, you're my man in the air. You're this, you're that. I take you in this team all day long. Then it was like, uh, who was on the other wing? Oh, let's just say Greenwood, I'll take you over a manga. Then it was like Austin Healy, Jonah Lomu, Johnny Wilkinson. <laughs> it's like literally not saying anything. Everyone's like, you can just say it. We'll all take, we'll all take Jonah. We all want Jonah. Get rid of the poison. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, he was never winning that one, was he, Jonah? <laughs> Gents, it's been an absolute pleasure having you all on board. Thank you so much for joining. It's, it was a crowded room, but a thoroughly entertaining one uh, as we look ahead to to the Masters. Final thoughts, Dale? You know, just uh, just uh, talking about Patrick Reed. You know, unfortunately, in life, and Tony, Tony, I think will 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 agree with us. You know, when you make a mistake or you do things wrong, it lives with you forever in golf. You know, you can make a mistake in your personal life. You can make a mistake in business. You can do wrong things in both those areas, and Uh people will forget about it eventually. You do it in golf. It's never, ever forgotten. They'll still remember it when he's 90 years old. They'll still remember what he's doing. And, you know, I I just I find it amazing that, that his brand or his integrity is not worth that much that he's that he that he's willing to 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 do what he does on the golf course i just i think it's very sad because he's a very very good golfer yeah one of the best short games there there is uh, but it's just you know when he's ball plugged the other day it, the general reaction immediately was that he cheated and i mean obviously reviewing and stuff uh no comment, but uh, you know, it's 
it, it's it's tough. He's got this reputation now, and and as you say, Dale, it will follow him for the rest of his career. I can't believe Tony's not uh, chipping in yet. I, I'm so <laughs> surprised at this too. I'm just waiting for the, for Uncle Tony to get in on this conversation. Well, I was going to say, you know, you can't always tell from a guy's public persona. I mean, you know, if we go down the list, um, I mean, Mickelson. In my book, you know, not the nicest. DeChambeau, or Bison DeChambles, uh, I like to call him. I mean, the guy's a complete headless chicken. Um, you know, there's a lot of them. Reed, you know, there's, there's some strange boys out there. But, it, you know, it's like any line of work. You know, it, it makes it interesting when you've got different characters. But, yeah, Patrick Reed, nobody's ever going to forgive and forget. You can do anything else you like. But if you get caught cheating or suspected of cheating, it's there forever, I'm afraid. Right. T- Tony, yeah. Tony goes from silence to offloading the chamber. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, open... <laughs> Mow them I'll, down. I'll also Mow like... them down. Yeah. <laughs> I also like how Tony just mentions all these names of players that are like these crazy lunatics because he wasn't known for being a lunatic in his day <laughs> at all. Completely sane. Completely sane, Brandon. So, Tony, really? you'd love, you, you would love playing golf with uh, some of our mates. They go into the rough with the Shrixen, come out with a tailor-made. Um, you know, Der- Derek goes in one side of the pond, comes out the other and says, but it's red stakes. So, I mean, you know, what is what is a Patrick Reed, really? Uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, to, be, to be absolutely fair, you know, we I, I sort of met him and spoke to him a fair bit. Um, at the three presidents' cups, uh, the two presidents' cups that I was vice captain with uh, Nick Price, three actually. And to be honest, away from the strange happenings on the golf course, he was a delight to be around. I mean, I've got to say, he was he was an absolute gent to be around. But you know, again, you just don't know you know what a guy does on the golf course. It's two different things. But Tony, you are attracted to those kind of people. Well, I've always liked you, so yes, the truth is out. <laughs> uh, final thoughts with Brandon? Uh, um, about what? Anything about Augusta. <laughs> days to go. Yeah, you know what? Um, going back to Augusta, to a topic that I can enjoy discussing. Uh, for me, you know, growing up in South Africa, it's Augusta was always one of those events that had a different aura, different energy, different prestige to it. Because growing up, it was the one week of the year that my parents would allow me to stay up like past 8 p.m. in the evening just to watch the golf. And I remember so vividly, I mean, you guys all know my dad, and we would sit on the couch and we would watch every single shot of every single player of the entire broadcast through Sunday evening. And... I know that our family dynamic is not unique to that in any walk. I know Yaku probably did the same growing up. Jeff, Mike, yeah. everyone. When Augusta, when the Masters tournament at Augusta National is on TV, everyone puts down everything, stops what they're doing, and turns on the TV and takes it all in. And it's it's a week, it's a tradition unlike any other, as it's so commonly said there. But God, it's good. And this week is going to be no different to that. Yeah. Good luck to anyone who's got to follow that up. Uh, Yako, that's you, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, um, yeah, well, like Brandon said, you know, that's, I know if you ask most golfers or professional golfers what tournament they'd like to win, it's always the open, you know, the carrot <laughs> jug. 
and same like Brandon said, for me, just something about the Masters has always been more special. Um, you know, if you ask me that question, I'd probably say the Masters. It's just, it's been so special and, and we've spoken about the golf course and, and it's not the best, but it's just the tournament and, and everything that goes, you know, with the week and, and, and it's just a special place and, and yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love the Masters and, and, and I can't wait to watch. Jeff? You know, 18, 18 at Augusta is probably like 18 at Wentworth with, without fans around it, without the hospitality around it. It's just a whole sitting out there by itself. And, and yet I think you summed it up best when you say it's the aura, it's the event. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been here 30 years and, and I've enjoyed two great Ryder Cups in Europe. I have no desire to go watch them in America. Uh, I think, you know, <laughs> but I loved, I loved Paris and I loved, and, I, and then I went to the president's cup and of course I rooted for the South Africans, but uh, um, I, I, I would just close by saying, I think it's a phenomenal week. I was pleased to get a chance to, to replace Lee on this show. Um, I'm sorry. He couldn't be here with you, but uh, I've enjoyed it. And uh, I wish y'all a great, great weekend. Tony. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say, the greatest major um, would be the Open Championship. You know, a lot of the Americans will say the U.S. Open or Augusta. I think they feel disloyal if, if they don't say that. But as a spectacle, the Masters is unquestionably the one to watch. If I was going to watch one major for the rest of my life, it would be Augusta and cannot wait for it all to kick off. And uh, the last man to join us on the show will have the final say, Mike Tyndall. <laughs> yeah, the, the one who knows least about golf. Um, <laughs> I think for for me, it, it, it is special. I think what Americans do in creating history and creating storylines behind tournaments and, and golf, they do an unbelievable job at presenting it. I mean, I was even watching the chip, the chip, uh, the drive chip putt thing this morning. I was mm. seeing 12 year old kids hit it further than me, which really actually disheartened me this morning. Um, <laughs> Uh, as, but I just I think there's always those stories that are recounted and told so well through um, the channels that do it, and, and that's what makes it so special. And there are always those unique stories, and when they're celebrated, you know, Garcia winning, you know, you know, even um, the the Aussie Scott Adam Scott when he won, just people you always have rooted for. He's always your each way bet, and then finally he gets he gets that win, and and then there's drama and and. There's drama all over that golf course, and and it's just told in the best way, in the in the most idyllic scenario, and it's just brilliant to watch. I love it. Shame. Uh, I see. I got this message from Mike about 25 minutes ago, saying I need to jump <laughs> off. Put the kids to bed. I literally. <laughs> I, 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 I am walking out this room to a knife, a knife in the heart from the wife. I think. Um, but it's been too good listening. Sorry. But uh, if you do it with a green jacket, it's fine. gents it's been an honor and a privilege hosting you and uh, thank you the listener for joining us and uh, these legends of the game Uh, it is raider golf the podcast the masters edition brought to you by fairways to africa enjoy what is undoubtedly one of the greatest sporting events on the planet the masters cheers